0: Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. Good morning, welcome to church, so glad that you're here. Uh, A couple of years ago, it's been six or seven years ago now, uh, my wife and I, we were able to move back into our hometown. It's a town where we met, we both went to high school there, and uh, by this point in our life we were starting to kind of, you know, achieve all those things that you dreamed about. And so about six years ago with our two kids we moved home to our hometown and we promptly moved into my parents' basement. Ah, right, the dreams of aspiring young people in love. Our family of four uh, kicked my brother out of his room in the basement. Uh, My kids slept on an air mattress in the living room. It was a sweet, sweet time of life, let me tell you, right? We uh, we'd finally arrived, and so needless to say, when the time came, when we finally found a house, we'd sold our house in the previous town, and we were able to move into a space of our own, we were just a little bit excited. Uh, so we got everything packed away, started moving into the new house, but, but as I mentioned, this was our hometown, as in like, I'd driven in the same direction to get home, uh, you know, ever since I'd been able to drive, it was really, really deep-seated. How many of you guys ever have that moment where on your commute home, right, maybe when you get off of the highway, like, your brain just kind of goes into autopilot, right? Like, it just knows the turns to make, and all of a sudden you kind of have that, whoa, right? I'm I'm home and in the driveway. I don't remember quite making the last turns. Um, but that that kind of happened to me quite a bit, actually, because I've been so used to driving there. So my office was in the central part of town, and I grew up on the east side of town, and we had moved into, and my wife was from kind of the west side of town. Now, before we're not talking Denver here, okay? So don't think like Westminster. Right? This is like a 15-minute drive across town, okay? So it's not expansive. Nonetheless, I would get done with work, and I would kind of turn into autopilot and there would be multiple times in those first couple weeks and months where I would find myself driving in the wrong direction. I would find myself with my hand almost to the door at my parents' household going, oh, that's right, I don't live here anymore. And I'd have to call Melissa on the way home and say, sorry, I just went on autopilot. I made it to the wrong house, right? I intended to go home. That was where I was driving. That was what I knew it was. It was five o'clock. It was time to get home. But For some reason, my autopilot, for some reason, my directions led me in a different way, right? Sometimes the way that we intend to go doesn't match the directions that we've been following, right? I drove in the wrong direction to get where I intended to be. Sometimes in life, not only when we drive, but we've been talking about how life directions kind of mirrors our driving directions. And there are times and seasons in life where we intend to go in one direction. We have every purpose, we have everything mapped out that we're going to go this way, and yet life throws us a curveball, or we enter into autopilot, and our directions, the actual turns that we take take us in the opposite direction of where we intended to go. Have you ever intended to go? north on an interstate, but accidentally went on the wrong exit and started going south and had to turn around? Have you ever intended to get married and start a family only for the doctor to say, I'm sorry, there's some complications? Have you ever intended to stay together forever, but then there are times and seasons where you're not quite so sure that you can make it? Today, we're going to talk about intentions. And let me just put this out there at the beginning intentions are a poor predictor of direction intentions are a poor director of where we end up, of our ultimate destination of our actions. The intentions that we have don't ultimately lead us towards our destination. As we've been talking about, our directions lead us to our ultimate destination. We've been talking the, the last few weeks with this idea, right, 2020 vision, seeing clearly. How do we get to the year 2020 and knowing that things are going to be different, how do we make them different on purpose? Do weeks ago we started out by talking about it. it starts with a defined destination. We have to know that place where we're going to, where we want to end up. And so many problems in life can come along because we don't clearly define where we want to end up, where we want to be in a particular area of our life when it's all said and done. We said that here at the porch that our, our destination is to give ourselves a way to follow after that model of Jesus. And last week we said, hey, if you want to end up at a destination, then you better have a good set of directions. You better know the the map. You better have the way to know which directions to turn right and left at the various intersections of life if you want to end up at the destination that you have marked out. We said here at the porch, the way that we do that is in small groups growing together, keeping each other on the path because a good set of directions will reach the destination that you want to get to. And so the way that we do that here, is in small groups of people that can help us keep oriented on our destination, both corporately together as followers of God, but also individually in some of those areas that maybe you've taken some time to have a personal inventory over the last couple of weeks, because we need people along the road with us to help us get to the destination that we want to get to. It's true in, uh, it's true in our driving, it's true in our living, and it's true with our spiritual lives as well. Incidentally, life groups are just around the corner to start here, February 10th, and uh, we've got sign-ups for you out at the Welcome Center. Of course, you can always sign up online to porch.church backslash groups. We've got three sermon-based groups that are basically just talking about what we talk about here on Sunday. We have two uh, topical. We have a men's and a women's group. Both are starting fresh this semester, and I would highly encourage you to get more information on those opportunities. But today… I want to build our analogy just a little bit deeper here. We're going to continue to talk about our core values, but, but I want to talk about intentions versus directions, those things that we intend to do, that we think we ought to do, that we really want to do, but at the end of the day, it's kind of uh, maybe a little bit wishy-washy. Maybe it's not quite anything more than good in Intentions. Maybe you've heard the phrase, right, that the pathway to hell is paved with good intentions. Not directions, not intentional steps, but just hopeful actions in the hopes that it results in what we hope that it does. So the framework for these conversations the last couple weeks has been coming from a, uh, a church by the name of North Point. It's Andy Stanley. He calls this entire principle the principle of the path. And so today we're at the full definition of what he describes as the principle of the path. And it goes something like this. Direction... Not intention determines destination. That the directions that we take, not just the intentions that we lay out, ultimately determine our destination. Again, we have this cute analogy of following through maps and driving directions and all of those things, and it's true for cars, it's true for life, and it's true for our faith as. Well, as we get started here, though, we've kind of established this, right? That intentions are fleeting, that we're not quite sure how they measure up, that a good thought, that a good intention ultimately doesn't necessarily get us any closer to our destination. To get to our destination, we need those directions, those step by steps, one foot in front of the other, ways in which to follow. So, to talk about intentions, I want to use a story that Jesus told to kind of set the framework for us, and then we'll find some ways to apply it to us individually and also to apply to us uh, together as a church. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, we're going to be in verses 28 through 31. If you didn't bring a Bible but would like to follow along, I'd encourage you to slip your hands up. Our ushers would love to let you borrow a Bible. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can just keep this. It's our gift to you. Uh, otherwise, you're welcome to just return it at the end of the service. Uh, I'm a bad pastor and I don't have a page number for you. So sorry. Um, if you have a smartphone, you can probably beat people there. You can just open the Bible app, type in Matthew 21. We're going to be uh, in verse 28, Matthew 21, starting at verse 28. Jesus tells a, a series of parables, and he's addressing kind of the, the rich aristocracy, the Pharisees uh, who think they know what's right. And so he tells some stories that kind of help uh, help them see that there's more going on than what's on the surface. Let's jump into our story here, Matthew 21. Verse 28, what do you think? He asks a rhetorical question. There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first son and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and he went. Verse 30, then the father went to the other son and he said the same thing. And the other son answered, I will, sir, but then he did not go. Which of the two did what his father did? Wanted. Don't read ahead. Which of the two did what his father wanted? What would you say? That's a loud consent. Right, the first, right? The one who said, no, I won't go, but then he winded up going. Why do you think that he's the one who did, who, uh, what's the question? Who uh, did what his father wanted? Because he, he did what his father wanted, right? Not a trick question, Okay. He did what his father wanted. His father said, go work in the vineyard. He said, no, no, thank you, which would have been incredibly rude, right? This would have been unheard of in that society, unlike today where I ask my kids to do anything, and the answer is like no by default. Uh, But this would have been a slap in the face to his father. And so the fact that he relents, the word, the the imagery there is repented. He went against his previous decision. He turned and went the opposite way. And so he says, hey, he's the one who ultimately did what his father, father wanted. He gave the wrong answer, but his actions were proven right, right? In contrast to the other son who said, yes, I will go. In other words, he had the good intentions. He knew the right answer. He thought, yes, I will do what pleases my father, but his intentions did not ultimately lead him to the correct destination, Right? If we use our language in here today, we would say that the intentions of these two kids were were both off, right? Neither of them had good intentions. They both intended to displease their father on one end or the other. Rather, that the first intended to displease his father, but then came around. The first intended to please his father, but wound up letting him down. So here's the question both for them and then for us today as well. So which one ought we to be? If we think they're both bad, right? That's kind of hard to like, which, which terrible son do you want to be? But stick with me here for a little bit, right? Which image is Jesus portraying to us as the type of people that we ought to be? Ought we to be the ones who intend to do right, who intend to please our Heavenly Father, who think that this is the right thing to do, but then we wind off kind of frittering out. We wind off kind of going, yeah, well, if I had time or if there was more opportunity or I'm just not sure I can quite get to that. I want to do what God requires of me. I want to do what pleases the Lord. That's my intention, but, you know, if I don't get to it, then, then I guess I, just don't, I guess I just don't get to it. Or is God saying, no, I would, I would rather you be blatant and upfront about your disobedience. I would rather you say, no, God, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow you there. I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to do what you asked me to do. But then we eventually come around to doing the work that God has asked us to do. Which person ought we to be? Again, the Scripture answers for us. Thankfully, it lays it out there. The Pharisees get it. Jesus affirms it, that the first son, the first person in the story is the person who ultimately pleases his father. And so, if we reflect that back onto ourselves, what are the choices that we have in front of us that will allow us to do the work that God has asked us to do, the, the work that isn't just paved with good intentions, but that actually gets us to where God would want us to be? See, we're, we're a product of the choices that we make. We're a product of the words that we say, of the actions that we choose to do or not to do. And in this parable, as well as the parables that follow, there's a kingdom principle that Jesus is teaching on. It goes something like this, that, that in God's kingdom, that in the economy that Jesus brings in, that that in the way in which He's attempting to lead and to sway the people that He's communicating with, that performance takes priority over mere promises. That performance, that actually doing the thing, that actually doing the actions makes more of a difference to God, honors God more than simply lip lip service, than simply making a promise that we can't keep. Again, performance. I'm not talking stage. I'm not talking faking like an actor. We're just talking about actually doing the work that God requires. Actually being Christians, following Jesus, doing the things that Scripture instructs us to do. That that doing, that that action, is far greater than simply lip service of saying, "Yes, God, we love you. Yes, God, we'll obey you." So long as it's on Sunday and so long as it's during an hour in the morning. But once Monday comes, then all bets are off. Once we get back into the regular world, then I can't guarantee anything. What Jesus tends to be saying here is that the actions that we take are far more important than simply the words that we say, that actually following Jesus is more important than saying we follow Jesus, that doing the work that God requires trumps the ability to simply say what God wants us to say. And so, with that, fir- with that story firmly in mind, let's jump ship here a little bit. And we're going to talk about one of the core values here at the porch. Part of this scene clearly is to help us define as a church body who we are, what makes us up, and, and what's worth talking about. And so, with this story of good intentions and the work that God requires kind of in our rearview mirror, we're going to talk about the core value of belonging to a family here at the porch. Why is that important? What does it mean? And I just have to give one small caveat, mostly for my own spirit and my own soul, which is I don't typically get nervous for messages. And I'm a little nervous for this one because there's some ways that this can be misconstrued. There's some offense that can be picked up here, and so I'm going to ask for your grace. I'm going to ask that you would ask questions, but, but the bottom line is that this is the first core value that we talk about because it sets the foundation for everything else. As we've talked about, our core values aren't just things that are important to us, but they're actually the ways in which we form people into becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus, right? We say here at the porch that we exist to shine the light and the love of Jesus, and we do that by inviting people to belong to a family, to grow in their faith, and to give themselves away. So we start off at belonging, that everybody can come and belong here and find a safe place to be themselves and to be in relationship, and that as we find ourselves in the context of a safe, loving family unit, that then we can grow in our faith, we can actually talk about the things that are challenging to us, those areas to which God has called us to step into, but we find ourselves maybe hesitating like the second son. And once we have those conversations, then we can even move more fully into having lives that are completely about the work of the Father, the work of God that He's called us to, and all of that brings us to this idea of shining the light of Jesus in the world around us. And so for me, for us, for us as a church expression, it all starts here with this idea of belonging to a family. And if I could say it simply this way, that belonging is ultimately a choice— it's a, it's a choice, it's a, it's a decision that we make towards the destination of being part of a church family. Belonging are the actions that we take to participate in the family of God. Belonging, this is the, the actions that we take in order to be a part of a family of God together to do the things that God has for us. And too often, I fear that we relegate belonging to the intentions realm that we relegate kind of this most important and foundational thing to a good thought or a good intention. Here's what I mean by that. Most of you are here because you think that belonging to a church family is important right most of you are here you got up on sunday morning because you would agree that this is a worthwhile destination that this is something worth pursuing we intend that this place would be a place of spiritual refuge for us a place that we want to feel like we belong right we all want to belong somewhere but but too often in our actions we don't follow the directions the step by step pattern of actually belonging We simply hope that it works itself out. We have good intentions about belonging to a church family, about following through with those types of things, but too often it gets relegated to just a good hope, to just a good thought. We don't prioritize our Sunday morning time. Church becomes the last thing before Monday morning, before we get all set and all ready to go for the week ahead. I can't tell you how many conversations that I've had with people who come to me and go, man, I just don't know that I belong here. I just don't know that church is for me. I don't know that I can find my place. I don't know that I have meaningful relationships. And as we sit down and unpack and have some deeper level conversations, I kind of go, okay, so so tell me, right, how, how long have you been, how long have you been coming to the porch? Well, you know, we've been coming for a for a couple months now, or we've been coming for a year now, and and okay, so how long have you been in relationships with people actually getting to know somebody? well, you know, we come, you know, maybe, maybe once every couple months, maybe once every couple weeks, we find time to actually make it there. And, and then they come and they wonder why it's hard to feel like they belong and why they feel like a family, why they don't feel those types of things. And the, the reality is that belonging has become just an intention instead of a deliberate set of actions. Coming to away from the fact that we step into that and away from the fact that they just step out just as simply as they step in. There's no real commitment there. There's no defined definition and destination to where they become a part of the family of God here. My point is simply this. If the destination that you're after is a church family, but the steps that you're taking only allow you to be here every now and again, and when you're here, it's a quick in and a quick out, and you can't commit to serving because who knows what the weekend will bring, and life groups are too inconvenient, then it doesn't surprise me at all that this doesn't feel like a family to you. Because we're a product of the choices that we make. And your directions, more than your intentions, determine the destination that you will ultimately wind up at. And church is a choice. Belonging is a choice. Family is a choice. And too often we want to belong to a church. We want a place of deep spiritual mentoring, a place of deep connections and walking into the relationships of life, but we also want to sleep in. We also want to hit the slopes. We also want to stay out late on Saturday night so that Sunday morning becomes an obstacle instead of a joy. We want to tune in online instead of the hard work of getting ready and actually coming to fellowship together. And all of the sudden, our intentions to go to church, to be involved in the in the family of God, go to the wayside of living our lives in the way that best seems fit to us. Because we have good intentions We're just bad at following directions. Now, here's my caveat, right? Please hear me clearly. Church doesn't save you. I can talk about this till I'm blue in the face. Attendance here will earn you no extra crowns in your, or no extra jewels in your crown in heaven. But it will provide you with relationships that will keep you on the path of following God in your life instead of wandering in the wilderness alone. Church is not the point. But it is where we learn how to be the church together in the world around us, and that is the point. And if you think that we're just talking about attendance, then you've completely missed the point. Because church is not about the content, it's not about the substance of simply what happens here. Church is about the community and the relationships that we create to be and to do what God has called us to do. Because I'm fully aware that you can get Christian content anywhere, right? Radio, there's, there's radio stations that are playing the music that you hear on stage, that there are podcasts and sermons and Bible studies, and they're all available online, better than you'll ever hear in this place. But as our world drifts towards artificial relationships and yelling matches through cell phone screens, what we need is something real. What we need is people that will walk through life with us, that will talk to us, that will ask us how our week is going, people that we can rely on and grow together. What we need is a community. What we need is a family, and you cannot find that without fully stepping in. And not just every once in a while, not just as you have opportunity to, not just as you intend to do, but actually following through with the steps. Remember, in Jesus' kingdom, it's about performance over promise, over lip service. This is critical in our followership of Jesus. And church, this thing that we do together here on Sunday mornings, isn't merely about the substance of its parts. It's not just singing and the Bible and a message from some guy on stage. It's about the people that we experience life with, that we experience holy moments with, that we enter into God's presence alongside. Church is about the relationships that we forge and create together. Y'all know Justin Timberlake's in town next week, right? Sorry, hard hard shift there. (laughs) I'm a Justin Timberlake fan. That was established last summer. If you missed it, uh, go back and watch our series. You can see some hilarious wardrobe uh, stuff going on there. But I'm a huge Justin Timberlake fan. If you came up to me and said, hey, I've got an extra ticket, please do. If you said, hey, I've got an extra ticket, do you want to go? My response is not, no, I've heard all the songs. Thanks so much. Right? Right? Because it's not about the songs, right? It's not about just the music. It's about the experience. It's about the performance. It's about what's going on. It's about the shared experience together, right? Likewise, if have you ever been to a concert and tried to describe it to somebody who wasn't there, hey, how's the concert? Oh, it was so awesome, right? The opening set, there were fireworks on the stage left. There was this green-blue strobe light thing. And then down from the center, they came and they started singing. You, you just had to be there right? You just had like, I can't describe to you what you missed out in that shared experience moment. A piece of what we do when we come together is that we create this line in the sand, this opportunity to tell that story of man, you just had to be there. To hear the, the way that the worship interacted with my spirit and how God brought just the right word, I, I can't quite put it into words. But if you remember, if you were there, then it was when that song transition happened. It was when that line came up in the sermon. It's about a shared experience. Similarly, if, if we went to a concert together and we were getting together over coffee and we we're like, oh, do you remember, do you remember that time? And then, and then that happened and that guy spilled nachos all over himself, right? And if you're on the outside of that story, it means nothing. But if you're in the middle of the shared experience, all of a sudden you have community, you have relationship, you have a depth of understanding that does not exist without the shared experience. Church is not a concert. Don't miss that. But the shared experience creates the context for community, creates the context for conversations, and church is about the experience that we have when we pursue God together. Belonging to a family, belonging to a place is where we start that conversation. Where do we get that? We get it from Jesus, right, who did this all the time. Jesus sees people on the side of the road, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Wee little man was he, right? Right? said, hey, get down from the tree, I'm going to your house tonight, right? How many stories, flip through your Bible, highlight, underline, write down every reference to where it says that Jesus was hanging with outcasts, with people who were rejected, with people who did not belong, who did not fit in, and that's where we see Jesus. Not only did He hang out with them, but He created the context for belonging, for a shared experience among a group of people who had none. But too many of our experiences around church are like punching a time clock. We say, yep, I did my hour. I came in on time. I left on time. I did the thing that was expected of me. Punch, see you next week. And we wonder why it doesn't feel like the sense of belonging that Jesus created. Right? Last year, there was a study that nearly 50%, I think it was 47% of all Americans surveyed feel a deep sense of loneliness. As a matter of fact, the younger that you went in that survey, the more profound that this sense of loneliness, of isolation, of not having any significant relationships was. The study also found that loneliness was a contributing factor to depression, diabetes, uh, heart disease, and many other related areas. So get this, in a world where we are increasingly more connected, right, where we can interact with any information and any people from the palm of our hands, more and more people are desperate. They're crying out for relationships, for a place to belong, for people to know them. And that's why the core value for us, that's why the the starting place for anyone and everyone is that everyone belongs here. Everyone belongs in the family of God. There is a seat for everyone at the table. You don't have to be cleaned up. You don't have to act right. You don't have to speak right. You don't even have to believe right. Everyone is a child of God and belongs to a seat at the table. And if it hasn't been explicitly clear, we start at this place that you belong here. Period, end of story, no caveats, no asterisks, doesn't matter what situation you put behind that statement, everyone belongs here. This was the starting point for Jesus, that he cultivated belonging with anyone and everyone as he went about the call that God had on his life. And so if you are here, you belong here. Everything else builds from there because that's where Jesus started with all of us but I'm not naive. I've been to church before. I've been in your seat before that simply showing up doesn't necessarily create that feeling of belonging, right? We've all been in places in crowded rooms where there's been hundreds of people around, but we still feel that deep sense of loneliness, where no matter who's around, no matter what the situation is, that there's something within us that goes, I don't belong here. I don't fit in here, Maybe that's your experience here, maybe that's your experience at another church, maybe that's something that you're looking to get away from. This is why the second piece of that is so important for us, that here you belong to a family, that we create family, right? That here we are a family of God pursuing God together. Which means no one is a stranger. It just means this is an extended party where we have cousins and brothers and sisters that we haven't quite met yet. That we have a duty and an obligation to make sure that everyone feels included and that they belong because this is the starting point that Jesus sets for us. I think it's so profound that Jesus enters into the human experience. How? In a family. He comes to a mom and to a dad. He comes as a baby. He could have come in all glory. He could have come with an angelic procession. He could have come as a ruling, conquering king, but he didn't. He comes as a part of the family, demonstrating to us that part of our call is to belong to a family of God. Who's left at the cross as Jesus hangs there dying? It says his mother is there following him the entire time. Not only does Jesus create a sense of belonging in His followers, but it creates a sense of family that pushes through any and all circumstances, any and all situations. Our world is desperate to belong somewhere. It's desperate for family. This is why church matters, not because it saves us and not because of a guilt or a duty or an obligation, but because here we have the opportunity to provide for people something that we are all desperate for on some level. And you may have family here close. You may have people around in deep relationships. That's awesome. I think so many of us, though, are like myself. I moved out here knowing nobody. I have zero connections outside of this church, and no matter how hard I try to connect with people, everybody's so busy going in a thousand directions that unless I'm going with them somewhere, there's just not time for relationships. There's just not time for depth of ministry. There's just not time for opportunities to grow in relationships. This is why this hour on Sunday morning is incredibly important, right? I think that the misconception is that you think I'm here because this is my job, which you're not entirely wrong about. But a deeper part of that is that this for me is serving the body of Christ. This for me is my volunteering. I work five days a week and then I serve one because I wouldn't ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do. And here I find belonging and a sense of purpose, and I find a family to belong to that's greater than myself, because outside of this community, I've got no significant relationships. I've got nobody helping me navigate through life. I have nobody to talk about my ups and downs and the things that we go through. This is why I love my small group so much, because we get together and we get to talk about not only what we talked about on Sunday, but how that impacts and affects us. It's created a sense of deep camaraderie and fellowship, getting to know people that I haven't had the opportunity to know in that way before. And guess what? The more that I get to know people, the more deeply that I'm inspired by that sense of belonging and the growth that we share together, the more that I throw off anything that gets in the way from me giving myself back in service for them, for the church, for the people around us, and especially for the people who are far from God and who I know need this place. Church is about belonging. It's about crafting and creating that space. And let me tell you, it's not easy. It takes more than good intentions. We have to fight for it to be important. We have to fight for it individually and corporately, and it takes a lot of hard work. Our world is, is starving for it. It's looking for it at every turn. It's trying to create it in every artificial way that it can. And Jesus gave us the model. Jesus gave us the steps to pursue to follow it out. This is why this is our first step. This is why that core value is so important, because good intentions ultimately don't lead us anywhere. And if we're going to reach the world for Jesus, if we're going to have the church be a monumental force in our life and in the world around us, then it starts with us creating a deep sense of belonging, a deep sense of mutual affirmation for each other, and creating the context for family. And that doesn't start with just the hour that we have together, because the hour that we have together is just somebody talking and somebody on stage playing music. It starts in the lobby, and it starts in afterwards conversations. It starts in small groups and in serving opportunities, and it goes throughout the list. It's enough of my soapbox. Perhaps you, can, perhaps you can see why I was a little bit nervous, because this is a big deal to me. It's a big deal to me personally. It's a monumental deal for our church, and I'm convinced that until we get this right, we won't be able to serve people who don't believe the way that we believe, because we won't have anything different from them. We'll be just as lonely and just as isolated as they are in their jobs and in their work and in their schools. What would Jesus, what would the church, what would Christians have to offer if we can't even be a family within ourselves? How's that for a pick-me-up? So what do we do with this? How do you determine what your ultimate destination is? What steps are you putting in place? What are those New Year's resolutions, those things that you've just had good intentions about, but when it comes right down to it, are not being fulfilled, they're not being executed? Where do you need some discipline in your life to achieve the things that God has called you and put before you to achieve? Where are the places to where God has asked you to go to work, to where he said, will you go and do what the kingdom requires of you to do? What's your answer been? If you said, yes, Lord, I'll go, but you perhaps find yourself on the bench. Has your attitude been, no, Lord, I will not go and do that thing? But the more that you spend pursuing Jesus and being in His presence, the more convicted that you get about going, I've got to go and do that thing. I've got to go and be about the Father's business. Here for us, broadly speaking, the the thing that breaks the intentionality is this idea of belonging to a family. It takes it from just wistful thinking and from just being a place that we hope we carve out that existence to actually being true. But it takes a certain set of directions. It takes step-by-step following in order to get us there. I'm going to invite the band to come up and we're going to sing one more song. As I do, I just encourage you to bow your heads and take a moment to pause and to let this sink in whatever capacity that you need it to. You might find yourself feeling a bit overwhelmed. You might find yourself feeling a bit put out. You might find yourself struggling with an area that I haven't even addressed, but nonetheless you know it's the Holy Spirit working on you. Whatever those places of good intentions are, ask God to reveal to you what steps you need to take to make performance, to make action over simply lip service to actually do the work that God has asked you to do and not just say that you'll do it. Whether that be individually in a certain area of your life that maybe you mapped out in the weeks ahead, whether it's financial or emotional or relational. Perhaps it's a spiritual destination that you've been trying to get through and you're just convicted that your good intentions aren't going to get you there. Maybe it's in your relationship to church, and you're going, yeah, I've thought about belonging. I've really wanted that, but maybe I haven't quite put pen to paper on what that looks like and what I'm able to do. Maybe you're feeling absolved and going, you know what? If that's what this is about, then this place isn't for me, and I'm completely okay with that. We're not the church for everyone, but this is who we are. This is what we strive to create, and this is what we will be about. So, Holy Spirit, would you speak now to your people? Would you touch our hearts? Would you say things to us that weren't voiced by me, but are voiced by you in our hearts and in our lives? Those places where perhaps good intentions have reigned, and now, God, you're calling us to account. You're asking us to go to the field to do the work, and God, we are at the opportunity to say yes or no. We have the opportunity to obey you and to go and do what you've asked us to do, or to just let it be lip service and to say, yeah, we're followers, but not in that area. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak clearly to us, that you would lead us forward, that you would allow us the grace, the perspective, to recognize where we need to put our hands to the plow, as it were, and to get to work. To not just let good intentions be what leads us, God, but to completely and fully do the work that you've asked us to do. Heavenly Father, we ask all of these things in the name of the Holy Spirit, in your strong and mighty name, and in the power of your Son what God's kids said.